On this episode of A New York Minute in History... When Elder Parsons would come, they just had to be ready. First come, first serve, get in the car, he would take you up to Albany. Life on Rap Road was pretty happy up until a certain point. You know, they called it the promised land. We dive into the story of Albany's Rap Road community, an African-American settlement that emerged as a direct result of the Great Migration. Coming up next, right after this. From the Irish invasion of Canada to the early days of the movies, the William G. Pomeroy Foundation is delighted to sponsor this podcast to broaden our understanding of history. We're also proud to help people celebrate their community's history by providing grants for historic roadside markers. Here in the Empire State and across the country, we support marker grant programs that include commemorating food history, civil rights, folklore, and sites on the National Register of Historic Places. Since 2005, we funded nearly 1,700 markers across all our programs nationwide. To learn more about the Foundation's grant programs, visit WGPFoundation.org. That's WGPFoundation.org. Welcome to a New York Minute in History. I'm Devin Lander, the New York State Historian. And I'm Lauren Roberts, the historian for Saratoga County. This episode is focusing on a marker which recognizes the history of a small African-American community located within the city of Albany that came into existence as a direct result of the Great Migration. Now, this sign isn't a traditional blue and yellow historical marker. It is brown and has white text on it, and it recognizes the inclusion of this community on the National Register of Historic Places. Located at 28 Rap Road in the city of Albany, the text reads, Rap Road Community Historic District has been placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2002 by the United States Department of the Interior, William G. Pomeroy Foundation, 2017. The marker we're focusing on today is part of a different grant program offered by the Pomeroy Foundation. When a structure or a district receives that designation, there's no allowance of any kind for signage or a plaque. So the Pomeroy Foundation offers a program where you can then apply to them for a marker in order to increase awareness of the historic place. Getting back to the Rap Road Community Historic District, as far as the location, It's located near Crossgates Mall, so it's near a lot of heavy commercial development today, but that wasn't the case back in the late 1920s and early 1930s when the community was formed. The houses here have a different look than the rest of the nearby neighborhoods and the general residential areas around it. So how, Devin, did the Rap Road community get started, and where did the founders of this community come from? The genesis of the story begins in the Deep South. The vast majority of the residents that would go on to live at Rap Road here in Albany came from a town called Shibuta, Mississippi. Shibuta, Mississippi is located in eastern Mississippi, formerly on the lands of the Choctaw Nation, which were open to settler colonists during the period of Indian removal in the 1830s. Shibuta developed a role as a trading post, and market for the surrounding cotton plantations during the antebellum period, and the vast majority of African Americans living in and around the area were enslaved. In 1865, the town of Shibuta was incorporated 
and in the post-Civil War years, slavery was replaced with the almost equally oppressive sharecropper system. Racism ruled the day during this era of Jim Crow in the South, and blacks lacked opportunities for education or good-paying jobs. Almost everything was segregated, and even walking on the wrong side of the street in Mississippi could get a black person lynched. This horrific racial terrorism, along with the disenfranchisement of blacks by the state of Mississippi and the rest of the Deep South, led many to flee the area for a better life and better opportunities. This mass movement of blacks towards an opportunity for a better life was called the Great Migration. Between 1910 and roughly 1970, over 7 million African Americans uh, moved from the southern United States to the north and to the west, predominantly cities, but um, a lot of African Americans also moved to rural areas. We spoke with Dr. Jennifer Lamack, chief curator of the history collection at the New York State Museum. Out of the 7 million African Americans that moved out of the south, 1.5 million of these African Americans moved to New York State. The majority of them moved to New York City because of the lure of Harlem, but a lot, you know, thousands upon thousands moved to all across New York State. The Hudson Valley, because brickyards in the Hudson Valley were some of the first integrated places along the corridor. Albany, Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo, there were lots of opportunities for employment, particularly during uh, World War I and World War II, because factories were, you know, had high manufacturing rates and they needed people to come and fill these jobs. Places like Albany, they had huge increases, particularly around the wars, but also between 1950 and 1960, we see, you know, thousands upon thousands, almost the African-American population doubling. A lot of people consider the Great Migration kind of being over after World War II, but there was a steady stream of migrants coming all the way through 1970. The main force behind the settlement of Rap Road was really Reverend Louis W. Parson and his wife Frances. Now, this is a very interesting story. They were both from Shibuta. They both left, originally trying to settle in Ohio, and things didn't work out there for them. And one day, the reverend looked to his wife and said, let's leave. And they got in their car, and they drove, and they had no real idea where they were going. They just drove. And eventually, they made their way into Albany, and they happened to be driving down Franklin Street when they noticed four women outside of a small church who were conducting a prayer meeting. And the Parsons stopped and got out and spoke to the women and introduced themselves and mentioned that he was a reverend. And the women said, oh, it's, it's interesting that you stop by now because our church is trying to find a new reverend. And throughout the rest of his life, when asked, why did you settle in Albany and what brought you to Albany? His answer was, God led me to Albany. Mm. And that congregation was the first church of God in Christ which was established in Albany and is still here. After founding their church, the Parsons returned to Shibuta to recruit residents there to come north and join them. We spoke with Stephanie Woodard from the Rap Road Historical Association. You have to think this is Jim Crow. There was still lynching in Mississippi. The people who left out of Shibuta were sharecroppers. So their parents would have been slaves. 
some stayed in Mississippi after emancipation and became sharecroppers. So when they made the decision to leave to go to Albany, you know, it was a significant decision because leaving a debt in Mississippi was a crime and you could get killed for leaving that debt. So when Elder Parsons would come, the people who wanted to come to Albany, they just had to be ready. First come, first serve, you get in the car, he would take you up to Albany. They would leave at night and they would leave on a Saturday night because the sharecroppers were, you know, they were very religious people in the South. These people were very religious. So no work ever happened on Sunday. So if they left in the night, they could get to the Mason-Dixon line before day. All day Sunday, no one would think anything because there's no work being done on Sunday. But come Monday, they would be pretty much in Albany. So they would drive all night and all day until they came to Albany. They brought very little, maybe a suitcase, very little money, you know, maybe a dollar seventy-five or something to that effect. And so this went on for a very long time until Elder Parsons was being threatened to be arrested. And when that happened, Jack Johnson, um, that's my grandmother's uh, first cousin. He also mm-hmm. helped. Uh, and he would come at night. I think he either honk the horn or do his lights. And that meant first come, first serve, you get in the car, and it continued. It continued for several years. And that's how people came up to, to Albany. They couldn't take the train. Some people did take the train if they had the funds. But even taking the train was dangerous because that was segregated as well. If a sharecropper knew, you know, the people who were operating the train, you know, taking tickets and so forth, they could go down and say, hey, if you see so-and-so getting on this train, call me because, you know, they're trying to get out of the south and go, go north. And even driving through the different towns was very dangerous. You know, you couldn't just stop wherever you wanted to stop and get food and go to the bathroom and get gas. You know, you had to have a specific area to where you wanted to stop and get um, food and, and gas. So the Green Book, um, if anyone's ever seen the movie, is true to fact that you just couldn't, you know, people of color had to be very, very, very careful. And then they, everybody couldn't come. It was a decision of who's going to go north and who's going to stay here. And if you are going to stay, where are you going to go? Because you can't live in the same house of where the sharecropper comes, you know, get you and say, you know, you owe a debt. So it was very, it was, even though we talk about, you know, this all happening during the 40s, it was a very, very um, scary situation for them. And families were split up, but they all came together once they got settled in, um, in Albany. I am actually the third generation of relatives who live out in Rap Road. My grandparents, George and Dora Woodard, came to Albany by um, Shibuta, Mississippi, in Mobile, Alabama. I would say it had to be in the 30s, given my father's age. Um, They came here because their cousins had settled here, and they were looking for a better educational system. Back in Shibuta, Mississippi, when my aunts got to high school, around high school age-ish, they didn't have a high school in Shibuta. They had to go to a different county. I believe that's when my grandparents, particularly my grandmother, started looking at other states. So my grandfather had siblings in Alabama and attended a Catholic school, but she still felt that there was um, a lot of segregation that they weren't getting the best education. So that's when they decided to move to Albany. 
once people started coming into Albany, they were living in the south end of Albany, and it was very, a lot of crime, prostitution, gambling, and people wanted to go someplace else. And what Reverend Parsons did was he also purchased um, land out where we now call Rap Road. He lent money and allowed people to purchase their land out there in Rap Road, and they began to build their homes by hand. So they would come in the evening after work or on Saturday and build and live in the south end of Albany until their property was complete. Other people out in Grapple would help. And some people came with a lot of skill, like the McCann's came with the skill of masonry. Other families came with other types of skills. So when they came out of the south, no matter where they came from, they did bring a lot of skill with them. And that's why their property is still standing today, because they were able to use materials in order to create their homes and build their, build their homes. The area of Rap Road was much more like Shibuda than the south end of Albany, so it actually became a much better fit. They were able to practice gardening, they were able to carry on farming there, they talk about hunting, they had their own smokehouse, they would smoke their own meats. So it was important, I think, to those people coming up from Shibuda to have some continuity in their lives. Some of the things that they had done while they were living in Shibuda, they could continue to carry on while they were living in the north. I think that's a great point, Lauren. The South End was an urban environment, and uh, these were rural people, and they were looking for something more akin to uh, the lands that they came from where they could own their own land and farm and grow their own produce and hunt and things like that. But I think uh, one of the things we, we need to remember, too, is although Albany and the North during this time was much less dangerous, there was still overt and institutional racism that took place. And we get the sense from the history of the community that one of the reasons they wanted to kind of move out of the city was to be among themselves. At least from my perspective, from talking to folks, life on Rap Road was pretty happy when they were on Rap Road. The folks that lived out there were really in a closed community, and there was not much around them. The pine bush was around. There were a few farms out that way, but the only folks that went out there, for the most part, were the ones that lived there or if you were visiting family that lived there. I would guess that most of the challenges came when the community left Rap Road and went into the city of Albany, and they would face discrimination in parts of their daily lives. But um, Elder Parson and Elder Johnson helped folks get jobs, got their kids into the right schools, um, and for the most part, they all became members of their specific congregations. Being on Rap Road was such a special place. So up until a certain point, I think it was really, you know, they called it the promised land. It was a place where my grandmother went a lot. And the name Promised Land is exactly what it was. I mean, there was no traffic. You know, you just run around and play. And, you know, people just got along to help one another. Everything was communal. There was a prayer house out there. So sometimes they didn't even have to come into Albany to do their um, daily prayer, their weekly prayer. Jennifer's correct. It wasn't until you went into Albany. You know, they weren't too receiving of, you know, all these African-American people coming from the South, like it would be a burden on the Albany economy. 
and also it became um, dicey once uh, Washington Ave Extension was built because no one really even knew people even lived out on that area of Washington Ave. We did have incident where the children couldn't get to school, which would have been, I think, a school on Western Avenue. They would not provide bus transportation. Albany Public School System would not provide bus transportation because they said the road was too narrow to get the bus down um, Rapp Road and over to Western Avenue. So Wilburn Simple Church of God in Christ purchased the bus to get the children to school. But other than that, exactly what um, Jennifer said, and, and I, I have recollections more with Shibuta, Mississippi, because my grandmother and grandfather used to take us down to Shibuta, Mississippi. And so when I got older and started coming to the family reunions, like in high school, I remembered Shibuta, Mississippi, and it was the community was exactly the same. Everyone knew each other, everyone owned their own land, their own property, and as kids, we, there was no traffic, so we used to play and, you know, have a great time, so... And I just want to uh, give a shout out to Jennifer because she too has been to Shibuta, Mississippi, right, Jennifer? Yes, I have. I... <laughs> <laughs> One of the folks that I interviewed said that, you know, God led Elder Parsons to Albany. And when you're out there and you realize how similar Rap Road looks to Shibuta, Mississippi, there are um, pine trees down in Shibuta and kind mm-hmm. of sandy soil. And that's very similar to what's out in the pine bush. You know, it's a little kind of otherworldly that you're like, how on earth did this happen? You know, there's, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a connection. <laughs> when they were welcomed into the community, these members had already been in their position. So they were more willing to help with food and shelter and getting a job. And it was almost like a communal living environment where they were helping each other out of, you know, a, a shared common past that has its roots in Shibuta. For the most part, there were some folks who settled there who were not from Shibuta, but it was really the majority were from Shibuta, Mississippi, so they knew each other or at least knew of each other. You have to remember, this is a, Shibuta is a very small town. Today's population is about 650. I think back in the 1920s, it was maybe around 1,000, so it was never uh, you know, a big metropolis. It was truly a rural place. The families would have known each other. The people would have known each other. So, again, they have this deep root of community and network that really helped establish uh, Rap Road as a separate community within the boundaries of the city. According to the National Register nomination, between 1942 and 1963, 23 African-American families bought tracts of land from Parsons' original land purchases. Today, approximately six families with connections to the original landowners still live there today. I guess that leads us into today. What is the community life like now? Now, one of the things we realize as we look at the history of Rap Road is that this kind of idyllic situation has been under threat and continues to be under threat, not so much by, again, by horrors of lynching or the Ku Klux Klan, but really by some of the commercial development that you mentioned springing up around Rap Road as the city's boundaries expanded and as the suburbs expanded. One of the uh, things that really um, put pressure on Rap Road was the Washington Avenue extension that was built. And you mentioned Crossgates Mall was a major building project and was really the pressure that 
the organization, the Rap Road Historical Association, really came into being to counter was this commercial threat. And that's why they looked to place Rap Road on the National Register. So getting the Rap Road community on the state and national register was particularly important for the community members out there and specifically for Emma Dixon, who was worried that the Pyramid Crossgates Corporation would come in and kind of take over the community. Starting in the 1990s, there was a plan to double the Crossgates Mall. They started buying up little pieces of Rap Road property that came for sale, even if they were between houses or between different lots. The fear of the community was that Crossgates was going to come in and ultimately kind of connect all of those pieces of land and out goes the Rap Road folks and in comes roads leading into the the mall or out of the mall or drainage or whatever. So that is kind of where I came in to the story was I needed to do a, a research project for a history class at the University of Albany. And Emma Dixon needed somebody to write the historic significance statement for the state register nomination. And um, it was Kismet that we met and started working together. And so my initial research paper was the significance statement for the, the state board review. Rap Road was put on the, the state register in 2002, and then I think it went to the National Register in 2003. The big deal with Rap Road is that when it was designated, it was still there. There have been other examples of Great Migration communities in New York State, not necessarily one that was originally rural, like mm-hmm. Rap Road, but neighborhoods in larger cities like Rochester and Buffalo and, and even Harlem But the fact that the community was still intact, is still intact for the most part, it was unusual for African-Americans to own property and own their own homes for most of the 20th century. The designation allows for some protections from outside development interests, and it allows for tax credits if you do work on your home. From a private owner standpoint, a private homeowner can do absolutely anything they want with their home, even if it is part of a historic district. I think it's important for everybody to realize that there are still families out on Rap Road, and the work of the Rap Road Historical Society is never ending because of the sheer proximity of where the community is in the middle of a lot of development. And I got to give a lot of credit to Stephanie and her colleague, Beverly Bartiquez, who has been tirelessly working to, you know, continue to document the history of the community and kind of protect it from all of those outside interests and development. And they are both so committed to keeping Rap Road intact and keeping the history alive. The Rap Road Historical Association, we work on behalf of the Rap Road Historical District. Um, we provide support. Um, these are very private families, and they, they are strong-willed and want to keep their home. So if they need help, we try to provide the help that we can. And then, we, of course, we work with people like Jennifer Lamack, like, like, hey, what do we need to do? Can you help us? And she provides us with guidance. Um, along the road, we've met um, different architects, historic architects, who are always um, willing to help us 
We also speak on behalf of the historical district when, like now, when we had the change um, with the Crossgates Mall and the Costco and the apartments, and we're involved in that whole process of approval. We're really at the beck end of the community in terms of what they want. Every year, we will look forward to going to two family unions, one with the McCalls, uh, which was down on Orange Street in Albany, and the other was coming to Rap Road for the family union, and we would have so much fun. We would always tell our friends, you know, we go to two family unions, you know, they shut down the street, but we have our family unions. <laughs> but we were up in Rap Road, or we were down on Orange Street, like, we shut it down. <laughs> and the food, and it's just, um, it was always a place to learn more about your family and who your family is. Putting a community like that on the National Register of Historic Places was a complex endeavor. We have to remember that during the early 2000s and before, many of the properties that were placed on the National Register uh, were attractive houses, historically important because they were the site of something to do with a founding father or some other community leader. Uh, They weren't necessarily a essentially working class neighborhood. I think also it's important, as Stephanie Woodard noted, that even if the families aren't there anymore, many of the original houses are there. And these houses were hand built. These people were skilled. And although it's a smaller number of families, it seems like the feeling of community still exists. The fact that they're still holding family reunions today speaks to the fact that they're hanging on to their heritage and trying to continue the legacy of the original people from Shibuta, Mississippi, who came here to try to make their own community and make a better life for themselves. You know, I tell my friends, you know, when you're coming out of Crossgates, you know, just take a slow ride through the rap road, you know, just a nice slow ride. and, and and think about, you know, history, think about their families, think about where people came from, think about how it's so important to preserve natural history and how important it is to preserve African-American history because there's not a lot of national designations related to African-American history and that we are so unique that the designation was not about a pretty building. It's really about a people who came from the South out of dire need and said, I'm going to go to Albany, New York and build a better life, not only for myself, but also for my family and for my legacy. And when I ride through Rap Road, that's what I think about all the time, just what we've been through and how so far we've come to this one community, just this one particular community. Thanks for listening to a New York Minute in History. 
This podcast is a production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio, the New York State Museum, and Archivist Media, with support from the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Our producer is Jesse King. A big thanks to our guests, Dr. Jennifer Lamack. Her book, Southern Life, Northern City, is available on SUNY Press, and Stephanie Woodard with the Rap Road Historical Association. To learn more about our guests, or just the show in general, check us out at wamcpodcast.org. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at NYHistoryMinute. I'm Devin Lander. And I'm Lauren Roberts. Until next time, Excelsior. 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 <laughs> <laughs>